So how does God show us something, a glimpse into his love? He says, I will pay the price. I'll send my son. He will die for you because he's already said, I love you. And when that happens, he says, I will bring you into my family. I will give you a future. I will bestow upon you my favor. Isn't it wonderful to know the favor of God as we walk through life? Because he sees us through the eyes of love. Now listen, I want you to understand something that I learned only recently. There are three kinds of love. And this only takes a minute apiece. The number one is called the if kind of love. If love. It's the one that... You hear people saying, if you do this, if you behave that way, if you accomplish this goal, then I will admire you, I will respect you, I will love you. By the way, many young people treat each other that way. Girls, listen. If there is a young man pursuing you who says, if you do this, or if you give me that, or if you behave this way, then I will love you, Run, don't walk as fast as you can away from that guy. He does not love you. He does not love you. God does not treat us like that. He never says, if you do something, then I will love you. We have all of the resources of heaven, all of the love of God, it's all that he can give us right now. As we walk into obedience, we can experience a lot more. We can glean from his gracious hand but God does not deal. He never says if love. Never. Second kind of love is the because kind of love. It's similar, but happens after the fact. Because you're so beautiful. Because you're so smart. Because you have accomplished this, now I feel comfortable in loving you. What nonsense. God does not love us. He looks at our helpless estate and Calvary covered it all. Let me tell you something about that kind of love. You know, beauty fades. Just look at me, for example. Um, you know, what, what used to be uh, firm and flat is now flopping and flying. And uh, we have women in our church, when they sing I'll Fly Away, their arms really look like it. So this happens. Don't ever fall into that trap because you look so good, because you're behaving this way. God... Thanks, thanks, his name does not look at us this way. He does not treat us with an if love. He does not treat us with a because kind of love. He treats us with the third kind of love, the in spite of kind of love. The one that says, I love you in spite of those mistakes you may have made. I love you in spite of what you've done. I love you in spite of your past, in spite of your weaknesses. In spite of your failures, I love you, faults and all. That's God's viewpoint of love. Boy, am I glad that he loves me that way. Or I would have a hopeless estate from which there'd be no escaping. He doesn't love me for what I do. He loves me for who I am, his child. Hallelujah. Paul says to us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, I was going to read a great portion of that chapter, but let me just summarize it for you. It says uh, in verse 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Now what does that mean? Especially that shed abroad. How is the love in my heart 
shed abroad. Here's what it means. It means it is poured out everywhere. It is dumped out. It is spilling out because there is so much of it. I can't contain it. Some translations will read that God's love has flooded your innermost being. Think of it like this. Here's a dry valley. Nothing much is going on there. No crops can be grown. Nobody wants to live there. But then the rains come. And somebody has an idea. He's going to put a dam up here on this side and capture some of the rain. And after a year or two, he's accomplished much. There is a lake. You can swim in it. You can fish in it. You can boat on it. People want to come there and see that. They want to build homes. What do you think happened to the property value? All of a sudden, there's a resort that wants to come in. It's all because of this water that was kept and remains in the valley and the water brought life. And the Bible says God's love can flood your life. That's what it means by shedding abroad, spilling over. It means that your potential is going to explode when you plug into the love of God. When you walk daily in that precious thought and remind yourself of this. Now, that is just a little bit of what the love of God is and what it can do. What I would like to do for the next couple of moments is just tell you what the love of God is not. Because I see, especially in my area, I live in Pennsylvania, we have New York, New Jersey, we've got a big population area and very few people in that population understand what the love of God is. And sometimes you will watch the news from the United States and shake your head because here are the things that happen. Number one, when some people say that God is love, they mean that you must accept their lifestyle, no matter how immoral it is. I mean, we just saw a gambling referendum statement right here, and that was solid. We're thankful for that. But we have all these movements of, of transgender lifestyles and all kind of things going on in the States, and we see protests against us. I was just in Man of War this past week, and I stayed in a, in a place where the occupant before me was Dan Cathy the president of a little company called Chick-fil-A. And this summer, Dan Cathy took more grief than I have seen an adult male take in our press in many, many years, simply because he said in an off-the-cuff interview, I believe the Word of God, I believe marriage is a man and a woman for life. You would have thought that he robbed 25 banks and, 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 and logged their children or something. It was an amazing thing that happened because people think, well, if God is love, then anything I do is okay. And you better approve of it. Um, it, it. It gets wild, what I've seen. After all, God loves me. Why can't you love me? Um, we have young people from our camp, as we've seen them grown up through the years. They think it's a great thing and are supported by their parents and, and, and they, they want to move in with each other. They don't want to get married. They just want to see if things are going to work out. And when we would just gently confront them and say something to them, they'd say, well, well, God is a God of love. This is an act of love. What could be wrong? Because they don't understand what the love of God is. I saw a television show in May of this year. It was called Harry's Law. I think it's on ABC Television Network. And in that show, they went so far in this theme uh, as to stand things totally on their head 
And here's what they said. They specifically pointed out Baptists, Pentecostals, and a number of denominations by name. And they said, those people are immoral. Why were they immoral? In ABC Television's view, they were immoral because they would not ignore the sin being propagated. So in their view, they don't believe in the love of God. Can you imagine how things have been turned around? Wrong. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you ignore the rules of God, if you ignore the scriptural admonitions in living, if you take on your own plans instead of God, guess what? You're going to ruin your life. Sorry. My nation is spending billions and billions, hundreds of billions, every single year, in a vain attempt to correct the problems that we have as a nation because of what these lifestyles has brought to us. Number two, some people say God is love. They mean that they think He is some kind of good nature, eye-winking, smiling, grandfather, doting type who just kind of winks and ignores your sin. Care less. Wrong. God is angry at sin. We need to understand this. That's why I need His love and forgiveness. It will mitigate His anger against my sin. That's why He forgives my sin. Isn't it a wonderful thing He has done for us? I didn't do any of that. But He did that for me. If we don't understand this, the Scripture says God's wrath abides on us. Now listen, that is something the world will not tell you. It's something they don't want to recognize. You'll never see it on TV. The wrath of God is something that is scoffed at, but it will ruin your future. It will send you to hell by your own choices. When I was here a few years ago, Pastor Lee preached a message, and I never forgot it. I had to go reread the story. When in the Jewish camp, the rebellious ones were swallowed up, the, uh, a sinkhole, Huge sinkhole occurred. And those who were rebellious against the leadership of God were swallowed up by that thing and their wives and their children and their tents and their animals and their possessions. It was gone. Now God didn't start that action and then say, Oh, why did I do that? I'm supposed to be a God of love. I shouldn't be doing things like that. I want you to know that the God of love also sent a great worldwide flood. And in that flood, once again, every man and woman and child and the livestock and every possession was swallowed up in that flood. God did not say when the rains began, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. I'm a God of love. I should just wink my eye at it and let things pass. No. I want to tell you something. His message then and His message today is I am God of the earth. I am control of these things. You need to be obedient to me. Yes, I love you, but I am not going to tolerate your rebellion and your turning me away. He's not in heaven today, folks, saying, let's make a deal. He's in heaven saying, here's the deal. I am almighty God. I am the creator of all things, including you. And if you belong to me, I want your allegiance. I want your obedience. His message, I am the God of all the earth. The world does not understand this. We, do, we should be understanding this. God's cold-hearted hatred of sin is seen at the cross. I want you to think a moment. Just get a visual picture of the cross. 
there at Calvary, what was going on that day when the God of love allowed his son to die, to be scourged, to be beaten with thorns on his head and then taken to Golgotha. And there is blood on his head and on his back and on his hands and wrists and on his feet and in his side. Mary is there crying her eyes out. She cannot understand why her son who led the perfect sinless life is being tormented in such a horror on this day. It was just a bad day to many people's eyes. Why did that happen? Because Jesus became in that moment on that day for all eternity your scapegoat. He is the one who placed himself in your stead. You understand this, don't you? There he was. That was love. I want to tell you this morning, folks, if you think that God is love means that you can live like the devil and still go to heaven, you better go back to the cross. You better contemplate that. If God would allow his own precious son to suffer that horror and deal with him in judgment, what do you think he would do to you? Oh, I'm thankful today that he loved me and gave me a way to escape. The last thing that people do not understand about love, and this is what God's love is not, this question that they say, you know, if God is a God of love, and you hear this particularly by young people and thinkers, if God is a God of love, why, why is there suffering? Why is there hardship? Why do I struggle? Why do I have to poke through all of these situations and not see the future? Why do good things happen? Bad things happen to good people. Have you ever heard that? This is a struggle. And I want to tell you, most often bad things happen because of the poor choices that man has made. Men and women make poor choices. You know, a lot of folks that smoke, some of my friends smoke, that's their right, they can do that, but you know what? They're setting themselves up for an early death by cancer. God is not doing that to them. They are doing that to them. A man once went to his pastor and I read this story that, that uh, he said he went up in anger to his pastor and he said, look what God did to me. And he showed the pastor his arm, which had been amputated at the elbow. And the pastor was wise enough to look at him and say, John, God did not do that to you. He had nothing to do with it. You were the one who made the stupid decision to go out and get drunk. And then make the even stupider decision to get in your car and try to drive. And then you drove that car into the tree and you lost your arm in the process. God had nothing to do with that. That was your choice. Then things happen to us when we're innocent. You didn't get drunk. You, you know, you're living for the Lord and some crisis comes into your life. And we, we can't quite understand that. And we forget that God has a long-term plan for us and he's on the other end of it. He's there. He's waiting to bring us through that. When Jesus was killed on the cross, I mentioned that. It was a bad day. The disciples had not yet really wrapped their heads around the idea of the resurrection. They didn't see the glorious future. They just seen everything that they had given up, everything that they had lost, everything that they had given to follow Christ, and there he is dying. And they're going to take them away to a grave tonight. That was a bad day for them. But it was only a few days later that something happened. And that something changed their whole perspective. It showed them that there is a resurrection. 
We all are going to be together again. We all are going to live eternally with Him. We all can be forgiven of sins. We all can live in a place that God Himself is preparing for us today. It's even called a mansion. How about that? When I look at the prices of homes around this place, my shed is a mansion. Let me tell you. One day we're going to hear the trump of God sound. Amen? And when we do, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And if we are still alive, we're going to be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord. We are getting ready to leave this earth. And that is a wonderful message. You know, I think of Joseph. All of you that have ever gone to Sunday school, you know the story of Joseph. There he is. Eleven brothers hate him. They decide to kill him. They throw him in that pit. One brother has a little bit of mercy. And he says, why don't we sell him? Instead, we can make some money on the deal. So they decide to do that. The Midianites come through and they sell their brother for some money. And they haul him off to Egypt as a slave. In Egypt, they decide to resell him and they can make some money on the deal. And he ends up in a house called Potiphar. You remember Potiphar's story? He has a wife. And she didn't work for ABC television, but she was a desperate housewife. And Potiphar one, uh, Potiphar's wife one day decides to make a pass at Joseph, and when she is rebuffed, you know what happens. He ends up in prison. There he is languishing in prison 12 years. You would think that after 12 years, one might begin to say, maybe I'm not in the will of God. Maybe something's wrong here. May, does God really love me? Am I really in his watch care? Is he really having his eye on me like his eye is on the sparrow? And I know he watches me. Guess what? One day soon to come. Joseph went from the pit of the prison to the palace. He became prime minister of the country. And when his brothers came back, and those representing Israel came back, he had the keys to the kingdom. He had the keys to the foodstuff. And he took them to a land called Goshen. And there gave them some land. And there the future of Israel was rekindled. Is that amazing? Because all of those years languishing, Joseph understood. I believe this with all my heart. Joseph understood. He realized God had a long-term plan. And he knew that God was on the other time. Folks, on the other side, if you are in some kind of dilemma today, you've been in it for a long time. Your heart... It is. It seems like it's, it's just cold because you can't see where the victory is going to come. I encourage you today, hold on! Hold on! He's on the other side. And He has a plan for all of our lives. And some of them are long term. And you will be all stronger for whatever it is He's doing with you. I want you to remember this. God is too wise to make a mistake. And He's too loving to be unkind to you. Everything will have a purpose in refining your life. There's a Bible principle <laughs> that the one going through the problem today is the next one in line for the promotion. Hang on. Hang on. He's going to meet you there at the end of it. Man's love is fickle. God's love is eternal. Little difference. Fickle. Eternal. 
Wife said to her husband, if I died and got remarried, would you let her live in this house? And he said, of course I would. Why would you do that? Well, it's paid for and I don't want to build a new house. Well, would you let her drive my car? Well, yes, I would. Well, why would you do that? Well, because it's a new car and I paid for it. Don't want to buy another car. Well, would you let her use my golf clubs? No, no, never. Why not? Because she's left-handed. See, that's fickle love. Ouch. But God's love is eternal. God's book, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, says, God's love is as strong as death. Whoa. You didn't expect that, did you? God's love is as strong as death. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 3 says his love. I bow my knee, Paul writes, to the Father so that we may know the power and the comprehension of, listen to this, the width, the length, the height and depth of the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. We cannot fully wrap our minds around this. It's big. You can't limit it. You can never see the end of it. The breadth, the width, the length, the height, the depth. There was a fly crawling across Raphael's masterpiece hanging there in the Vatican. Two men were watching this fly zoom around and land on the painting. And the one man said to the other, what do you think that fly is observing? <laughs> and the other guy said, well, he's probably just observing, you know, imperfections, you know, brush strokes. He's on black, so he maybe just sees nothing but a black hole. And he'll never understand he's on a masterpiece. But you know, if the fly could just back up 20 feet and see what he was landing on, the thing is six feet by eight feet, he would understand there was a masterpiece that he had landed on. And you and I are like that fly. You may be going through tough things, and many of us are. It looks like we have just landed on nothing but blackness. Looks like we see nothing but the irregularities, the problems, the difficulties, the suffering. But if we could ever stand back and see from eternity's perspective what God sees and what He's doing in our lives, if you could see her tomorrow, you'd probably jump for joy. And you'd say, like the saints in the New Testament, He doeth all things well. We can appropriate that in our own life. There's no place we can go to miss the love of God. David said, wherever I go, you are there. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I travel to the other side of the world, there you are. The little boy was 10 years old. He had cancer. He went under chemotherapy for a period of time and all of his hair fell out. His dad, a big strapping man with a beautiful head of thick, black, curly hair. One day everybody was surprised when dad came downstairs and they went out in public and dad had shaved his head and he was like a billiard ball. And the little boy proudly said, my daddy shaved his head so he could look like me. That's love. That's love. 
my God gave his son so I could look like him. So beloved, may the love of God be your full portion today and this week. May you see him on the other side of the struggles that we experience right now. May we hold on knowing that he is there and by his love, his power, his strength, he's going to bring us through. May we understand that maybe we're in a long-term plan to cultivate us, to grow us, to put us in a place where the promotion is due. And his love will flood your heart and be shed abroad, overflowing. May that be your portion today. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen and amen.